Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Um, We are about to jump into the book of Colossians over the summer. Um, Has anyone here ever read the book of Colossians? And so we want to immerse ourselves uh, in this book, not in a virtual reality way, but in a real way, where we actually put ourselves in the story and we allow Jesus to teach us from the text. And so this is a letter that is written by Paul to a house church in Colossae uh, that met at a lady named Nympha's home. And so I want to set the background just for a few moments because I think it's really important for us to situate these stories in their cultural and contextual and historical place. And so I just find that important as we dive in over the next two months in this beautiful book. And so here are some things to know about Colossae. It's a small town that was located at the bottom of Mount Cadmus. And so this is what's left of it today. Not much to write home about, but that's what it is. Uh, It was known for its red wool cloth. It seemed to, uh, before before the the, the BC into AD timeframe, it was rising to power because of their export and they were able to do quite a few amazing things. Um, But there was another town that came into being around the turn of the, the, the BC into the AD. And that town named Laodicea sort of took over a lot of the trade stuff. And so if you can almost imagine sort of this sleepy town that once had prominence and was sort of on the decline. Anyone ever grow up in a town like that or live in a town like that? Um, Paul is writing this letter in prison. And uh, if, have, if any of you have ever read letters from people in prison, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a, a book called Letters from Prison, um, Letters from a Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and Paul's letters. There's just a tone about a letter from prison that is both hopeful in the midst of suffering and yet has this great proclamation about what can be. And so a couple of other things that we understand is Paul never visited this church Uh, But it was started by a good friend of his named, oh gosh, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name at this point in time. I've had it all day. Anyways, uh, there's also a lot of connections that we find in the book of, in in the rest of the New Testament. Some of those connections are this, uh, the book Philemon, which is a book written to a guy who is one of the, it sounds like he's one of the prominent leaders in the church of Colossae. Uh, He's there in this. And so that whole book is written to a man named Philemon from Paul about the issue of one of the slaves who has joined Paul and and Paul is trying to include him back into this and asking him. So there's a lot of interesting references that we find in there. We also find not not this particular city talked about, but when we read the book of Revelation, there's this, there's this, um, there's this, there's a city in there named Laodicea. And in that moment and in that story, what happens is there's this this time where Paul is saying, where John is saying, I'm sorry, guys, it's been a long day and it's only eight o'clock in the morning, 1050. (laughs) And I'm wrecked because I'm grateful because God is doing some really good things in my life. Um, 
Any of you ever have, have a, a kid that struggles with, with some kind of learning disability? And then you see that kid read on a Sunday morning? That's the message. And so there's a lot of really cool stuff about the book of Colossians. And there's a lot of really lame slides that I have. Just keep going through them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sort of jump into here. Um, one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand, and I'm going to connect this somehow. The Lord's going to connect this somehow. But this early church is living in this time frame where there's this, this false sense of peace called Pax Romana. And it's the sense of peace that really basically says, hey, if you're rich, uh, if you're one of the haves, then everything's good. It's also the sense of peace that is kept through might and force and violence. And so Rome is, is a rough space. And these Christians, these early followers of Jesus, they live under this very interesting world where it is a false sense of peace. And so Rome is in, with Roman power, what this means is that the Caesar, or the leader of Rome, is one that they would call the son of God. And so if you're a slave, a male, female, if you're a Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are in the Roman world, you have to bow down to the Caesar. Because the Caesar is Lord, the Caesar is the one who, who defends, who brings peace, who does all of this stuff, and the Caesar is the one who saves and as you can tell, this begins to sit really funny with the early church because they claim that the Caesar is not the Lord. They claim that Jesus is Lord. And so what we see is in these early Christians, they're not invested in protests. They're not ones with their fists raised in the air. They're living in this way of resistance. And so somehow in this way of resistance, we move from clenched fist of violence to this way of peace of Jesus. And so the image is changed. And so what we find in this is that the followers of Jesus lived their life as resistance. And they saw their actions, whether it was their dirty laundry or the cornflakes that they ate that morning, whether it was work or play, all of their life was a prophetic witness against the rule of Caesar, not in a violent way, but by living in a way that, that disturbed deeply the lowercase g gods of Rome. And they saw this king, Caesar, not as the king of the universe, but a small, tiny king underneath the rule and reign of their big king, Jesus. And so they embodied a way that lived as a posture and blessing to a town, to their town, and this included the dark alleyways, the brothels, uh, the temple prostitutes, the people who were on the wrong side of the tracks. And this was a big problem for Rome because what they saw was this, that the more people of Rome spent time with these tiny Christian communities, the more these tiny, these people who were spending time there began to see the cracks and the dark side of the empire of Rome. 
And this wasn't because of the brainwashing work of any of these really smart, intelligent people, but it's because the Holy Spirit was at the work of reimagining what family and humanity can look like. And so it's almost like if any of you ever been to a different part of the world, one that does not have as much as we do, anyone? And usually when you come home, I don't know if this has happened to all of us, but for me, I remember being in a country that was much poorer than mine. And I came home and the first thing that I was struck with was anger. Anyone ever been there? And you're like seeing all the stuff that you have. And then it usually goes into sorrow or guilt and all of these different things. But my sense is as people began to taste and see that God was good, that Jesus was real, that it really began to subvert the power of this Roman Empire. And so in this letter, Paul is laser sharp focused on, on, on three things. And it's this, the supremacy and work of Christ, who we are in light of who Jesus is, and then the last thing is how we should live in response to the work that Jesus did on the cross that reconciled us back to God. And so simpler stated, it's this, the person and work of Christ, the mystery of God made known, new humanity and new familia, what this new family looks like. One of the threads that we see run throughout this entire book is the thread of reconciliation, to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to oneself, to be reconciled to one another. And so this house church is faithful and it's looking to follow in the way of Jesus, but they feel the cultural tension towards the religion of law. So there's this feeling like we have to go back to the way things used to be. The most deadly words that anyone can ever say is, I wish I could go back when. That means you're stuck. And so that's one side. These people are feeling this tension in the church. Like, we need to go back to the old ways of doing things. We need to, we need to sort of bring back all the, the old Jewish ways of life and what that can look like because it was good and it was safe and it was, it was, we know it. And on the other side, you have these other folks who are feeling this pull into this, like, mysticism. This place of, like, well, we can find God, but he's located here in, in the center of my life. And, and it's, it's all about, you know, smells and bells and nasal gaving and contemplation. And none of these are bad things in and of itself, but there's this pull. This is like pre-Gnosticism, and that's real simple. The Doug definition of Gnosticism, anything spirit is good, anything body is bad. But we don't see that because if we're people that understand that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God, that means that both our humanity, our skin and bone and our flesh is redeemable as much as our spirit, like the essence of who we are. And so Paul's writing this to try to correct some of these things, and we'll, we'll get into that a few weeks from now. But that's enough about some of these things. We're going to kick right off in the best part to kick off any book, which is in the very beginning. So if you can open up your Bibles to Colossians 1, verse 1. And get ready. This is going to be a long reading. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Amen. I was kidding. It's not long. It's very short. Grace and peace to you. As I said, this book is one of the main threads that we see running out from this book is this thread of reconciliation. 
And it even begins in the introduction. And so grace and peace, a lot of you, if you've ever got an email from me, normally I'll sign it at the bottom unless I'm doing voice to text because then I don't know what it would say. So I just don't do that. So if you don't see it, that means I'm probably saying it to my phone. But what we understand, this is not just a mere, hey, you look lovely today and I'm glad everything's okay, but this is a thickly theological statement of reconciliation and resistance. And so the word for grace, it comes from a Greek word that's charos, charis. Also where we find the word charismatic, grace-filled people that run wild in the love and grace of Christ. But it's a Greek greeting. And so when you would meet someone on the streets, usually the Greek greeting would be grace to you. And it was this idea of recognizing the beauty and the loveliness of, of, of who you are on the outside, and maybe even talking about the kindness of what you may be on the inside. But it was strictly a way of saying hello. And so what I love is that Paul hijacks this word. And he hijacks this word in a way that is very unique. And what we find, and, and if you've read anything about grace, there's so many amazing comments and, and pithy statements about what grace is. Here are some that I just really love. Grace is, and this is how Paul would look at it, the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, and the unearned favor of God. John Stott said, grace is love that cares, that stoops, and that rescues. Jerry Bridges says, grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. And then Frederick Breekner says, life itself is grace. And the truth is, we need grace in light of a culture that constantly reminds us that we are not enough, that we will never have enough, that we can't buy enough, and that we will never, ever fully feel alive until we have this thing that we can never actually obtain. We need grace. We need grace in the light of our sin because we've sinned against God, ourselves, you and I. We've sinned against our neighbors and we've sinned against the world in which we live. And we need grace because it is grace that forgives us, that frees us. It's grace that covers over our shame, that sets us free and puts us in the right space with God. And my friends, we meet grace at some of the hardest spaces in life. That's why I love the song, the singer, and, and people just know this. It doesn't matter where you're from, but amazing grace, how the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. But that is grace. Lost, found, blind, and we see again. Deaf, and we hear again. Mute, and we speak again. We need grace. And that is the beauty of the gospel that in the space where we should not receive it, God stoops to us, becomes one of us, and is crucified, dead, and buried. But the story doesn't end there because he's resurrected to prove that this grace is real. 
that this is not just some idea that we can hang our hat on, but it is a reality that is lived. And Paul comes to this other word, peace. And so if, if Greek, if, if grace is the Greek greeting, then peace is the Hebrew greeting. It's the word shalom. And the most basic meaning is this. It's this idea of completeness or wholeness. It's this idea of complex with many parts, but in a state of oneness, in a state of wholeness. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of something so much bigger. And so poetically stated by one of my favorite songwriters, he says this, Shalom is the dream of Eden that shimmers on the edges of things. It is this word that is very deep within a Jewish mindset. And so as Paul is writing grace and peace to you, it's like he's merging these two huge ideas into writing a brand new community, a brand new family. Theologian Neil Plantinga writes, the word shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom is the vision of community. It is what community strives to be. It is also, it is a word that looks forward to a new day. It is a word that is pregnant with hope. And so we also use this word peace or shalom in a verb, and that's what we find in Scripture. And to bring shalom is to bring completeness and restoration. It's to reconcile and heal a broken relationship. And we see this in the person of Jesus. What do, they, what do the angels proclaim when Jesus shows up on the scene? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, shalom on earth, that there is this new thing. As we look at the prophet Isaiah, he talks about this king of peace, this king of shalom, that Jesus is the prince of shalom, that he is the one who will make right and heal our brokenness and the brokenness of the world, that Jesus is our shalom, the complete human that all of us have failed to be. And so he lived it for us to give us that peace, that Jesus is the arrival of peace. And my friends, we, le- we need shalom in light of our culture because we are called to be restorative architects in a broken world. If we are people of peace, what we do matters. How we live matters. The way we do our dealings at work matters. The way we treat the people at the grocery checkout line matters. Because if we're people of peace, we see all of life through these God-tinted glasses that see the image of God in every person that we come in contact with. We need shalom in light of our sin because you and I, and I want to make this really clear, we were not made broken. You were not made broken. You were made in the image of God and sin screwed up this image. And God is in the place of restoring that image back to who you were created to be. We were made to be whole, complete in Christ as image bearers of God. And so Paul brings these terms together, grace 
and peace. And I want to read something from an author named Brenda Slater McNeil. And she says this, the gospel is is both vertical and horizontal. And Jesus reconciles us to God and to each other. And Paul's greeting reminded the church of a new society that it was supposed to be, one that had received grace, forgiveness, and salvation from God, and also would extend peace, shalom, and goodwill to one another. And so to this house church in Colossae, the bringing together of grace and peace was a proclamation of the new community that was formed through Jesus Christ. No longer divided between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. And this vision of the community of the followers of Jesus was dangerous to Rome because it wasn't Pax Romana, it was Shalom of God. It wasn't grace as a greeting, but it was a proclamation of the birthright of who we were made to be. And so grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters of the Renew community, is an encouragement to us today. And we begin this journey of being immersed in the book of Colossians, being reminded that you have been forgiven and you have been gifted the gift of shalom. And that we are called to bring shalom where we come. And we don't do it in our own strength, in our own power. We do it because the Holy Spirit has given us that authority. And so embodying grace and peace as a community sees a world a lot like the poet Wendell Berry does, in that there are no unsacred places. There are only places, there are only sacred and desecrated places. Maybe said better this, there's no such thing as an unsacred moment. There are sacred moments, and there are moments that we have forgotten are sacred. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask, I beg you, that as we enter into this summer, that we would begin to to look ourselves in the mirror and say, grace and peace has been given to me. That we would extend grace and peace to our brothers, to our family members that are driving us nuts, to our children, to our friends, to the people that cut us off in traffic. But that grace and peace would be something that we embody, not some nice little statement that we use to say hello. Now, this is my favorite part of the day. I get to give you guys homework. And if you complain, it was Ben's idea. Um, But here's some homework for us. It's real simple. I'd love for us to read the book of Colossians by House Church, or even by just read it over and over again. Hang out with it this summer. Ask the Lord to show you what it is that he has to teach you. And so you're going to read it. And then this is the other part. And some of you are going to, you're going to feel very restricted by this. I'd like for you, we would like for you to write a one-sentence summary. So get out your summarizing brains. And let's summarize in one sentence what the book of Colossians is all about. I can give you some. Uh, this is what, this, uh, a few of us met the other night. We were talking about it. And so here's one. Jesus is your true life. So live like him and for him. Jesus Christ is supreme power over everything in the universe. And because of this, you're able to live a life free and worthy of him because he is in you. Uh, Jesus, the revealer of God, has entrusted his church in wisdom to take on the work of helping establish his kingdom. So these are some of the sentences, just nice, simple, but help us. And that's going to help us to kick off our house churches and ways that we can discuss as well. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to do what I love to do. We're going to have a chance to respond in worship.
Because that's what happens even in this book of Colossians. Paul starts out with his greeting and he makes these huge statements. And then if you read a little bit further, in verse 15, Paul goes off, almost like we did, just singing Amazing Grace. And he just sings about the God, his Father, his Son, Jesus, <coughs> in ways <coughs> that we're still struggling to fully understand how wrapped up he was in this moment. And so we're going to get a chance to join with Paul in the saints that went before us in singing together as we worship. So Jesus, we thank you so much for the work that you did on the cross. We thank you for defining this new family that we have a chance to be a part of. God, may you help us to recognize in these weeks that we have to spend in Colossians your goodness. And Lord, may we be wrecked by the miracles, big and small, that we're going to see around us as we pay attention to what you have for us. Lord, I pray for those of us in this space that are experiencing guilt and shame. May grace and peace flood into their hearts even now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.